Xavier Tillman visited a petting zoo, but he just couldn't find a bunny. Graham Couch's reporting on MSU football staff changes looks like a scene out of a beautiful mind. We get ready for Hate Week Part 2, and we celebrate some 17-year-old boys. You're listening to Can't Read, Can't Write. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Can't Read, Can't Write, the podcast that proves to Wolverines, Spartans can talk. I'm Mike Jones, joined as always by my uh, co-host, the founder of the Brad Davidson Survivor Support Group, real-life victim of bilateral scrotal edema, Kevin Greck. Thank you, as always, for listening. If we could indulge you uh, in a small favor, please share the pod with the Spartans in your life. Follow on the old Twitter machine, at Spartan underscore pod. And of course, rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And most importantly of all, just because we lose a game doesn't mean you have to not listen to us for a week. So keep the subscribe button smashed and follow us every week. Kevin, the giggles over there are throwing me off. How was your week? Tell me about it. It got a lot better with all this additional flourish here in the introductions. (laughs) I didn't know you were going to rub so much mustard on this thing. Also... To our listening audience that thought about turning the podcast off when the man said that we're here to celebrate 17-year-old boys, he's referring to signing (laughs) week in football, which is something that I thought maybe we should specify so that everyone knows, but he said, nah, it's the intro. It's meant to be, it's meant to be punchy. It's it's meant to be provocative. So here we are. (laughs) <laughs> and that's how we began this week's show. Yes, indeed. Uh, and we will get into all the MSU news from this past week. But before we do, we got to say a word about our presenting sponsor, Kevin. Uh, other than the beer of the month, which I will talk about in a second, normally I talk some Frasers. Why don't you say a few words, if you will, about Frasers? What's your favorite part of Frasers? Well, I mean, Frasers brought me the knowledge of uh, lighthearted ale. It just existing. I didn't even know that that was a product out there, much less. Can you imagine beer of the month at the same time? I mean, it's only got 110 calories. That thing's incredibly easy drinking. I got to get down to Fraser's pub. I got to get me a Bell's light hearted ale. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. It is. And for those who don't know, Fraser's pub is in Ann Arbor, Michigan. It is on Packard street and Kevin, uh, Look, uh, we've we've eaten some food, we've drank some beers, we've uh, enjoyed some games there. Tell the folks, uh, what's your favorite part of Fraser's Pub, and then I've got one for you. Uh, we're gonna go. We're gonna go with the staff. You know, the friendly, uh, the staff of Fraser's Pub. You know, you can bounce a, a hearty joke off of them; they'll give it right back. Yep. It's a good time. Yep. Give and take. Love it. They're very personable and pros. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, this isn't their first rodeo. So uh, great, great staff there can handle a big game experience. I would say, you know, one of the other things is you wouldn't necessarily know it about Fraser's Pub, but they've got some outdoor seating and it is heated. So if you got a mild night, uh, you know, not too cold, you can sit outside and enjoy, you know, uh, the the fresh air with a little bit of heating. So and it's covered outdoor seating too. So if you've got a nice mm-hmm. little snow sprinkle coming down, I mean, you could have a very yes lifetime Christmas movie experience out there. 
Yeah, with that lighthearted ale, which will keep you, you know, don't drink too many of them, but you know, you can have one, two, depending on the time. Drive safely and enjoy a robust flavor with a low calorie, low ABV output. Indeed. So we've talked uh, Fraser's Pub. We've talked seventeen-year-old boys. Shall we get into the show? <laughs> yes, we should. I just felt like Fraser's deserved a little extra, extra love this week. They're um, amazing. They're they are. so good. Um, so yes, folks. For those who may be joining us for the first time, the show splits uh, pretty simply. Uh, first, we we have a segment we call the Green Wall which is where we cover the past week's news in all things MSU sports, though, as listeners continue to point out, apparently not enough MSU sports. They want us to get into all 23 scholarship sports, but it'll be primarily football and basketball. Uh, We will make an effort to do more as we go forward. From there, we head off Grand River and cover some of the headlines going on in, it tends to be college sports that are not MSU-centric, and then we answer your Twitter questions and wrap the show up with a world-class preview of the games ahead in the next week. So, Kevin, let's start it off behind the green wall here. Let's talk some hoops. It was not a great end of the week. MSU losing narrowly to Wisconsin at mm-hmm. Wisconsin. And I think it's fair to say at this point in time, slow starts are officially a thing. You know, Partic- at, at, particularly uh, it, on the road. Yeah, I mean, and and uh, we tweeted out during the game, but uh, listeners of last week know that there was the uh, the Jones quotient and the Greg postulate, and towards the end of the half, we were flirting both with violating the Jones quotient, which is you need to be down by as many minutes remain in the game, and at times flirted with the Greg postulate of get it to 10 by the half. It was, it was a nightmare of a start to the game. And I think in, in particular, what was fascinating was that Xavier Tillman, who has been silently lethal. Yeah. Had out of control stats. Like yeah. stats that just jump off the page. You can't see it necessarily all the time while we are watching the game. But afterwards, when you look at those box scores, it's like, that guy, amazing. Yeah, and, and still, in a way, put together a great game. He had 14 boards with, I believe, six assists, though couldn't buy a bucket. I mean, he, he ended plus six with him on the floor, but my God, I mean, he was within five feet of the hoop was something like 25% maybe? Yeah. Maybe? It was bad. I mean, he was getting called out on the broadcast for it, uh, and it takes something for that to happen. Yeah, um, that's not what you want. I do uh, agree that we should take the, you know, the home win and sort of set that thing aside and really just focus on these last two road games. I mean, that's where that championship banner is going to be won. Uh, that's not some super keen insight. Everyone knows to win the Big Ten this year, you've got to take care of your home court and you've got to pick up some on the road. And MSU just left two yeah. perfectly available uh, road games out there, uh, which it could come back to regret, honestly. Uh, Illinois is number one of the Big Ten right now. They lead MSU by half a game, I believe. Wait, still and after their after their loss to Iowa, they still leave it by half a game? Oh, Big Ten standings. 
I think I'm right on this one. I think we're still tied. Great. We'll assume that I, you're correct. I, I, I texted my Iowa buddy to say, thank you. We needed yeah. that. Appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, but it's very possible that we look back at these two games, the, this Indiana game and this uh, Wisconsin game, and we wonder to ourselves, why does this team need to go down by 15 in the first half? And why does this team insist on not closing games when it has the opportunity to do so? And that Indiana well, game, it could have, you know, pulled ahead with eight minutes to play, you know, five minutes to play. And in this Wisconsin game, like they just gave up so many opportunities to, you know, get a lead, build a lead. It just, it wasn't there. It was very frustrating. Well, so I, I'm curious your take on this because at the end of the game, Mm-hmm. or at post game rather uh Izzo blamed defense you know that at the outset that it was we just weren't guarding anybody sure and maybe though you know i i would also say at times it looked like that bucket was not regulation size mm. um on on both ends of the floor and and frankly the scoring backed that up I mean, for MSU to charge back as far as they did supports my theory that Wisconsin was tinkering with the size of the rim. But I I am genuinely curious. Do you think this was a defensive problem in the first half? Or because if that's true, then actually, I would let me break it up. Wasn't this game a defensive problem? Second question is, if so, is that true with all of their first half starts or is it a mixture of issues? Well, I wish I had a box score here broken down by first half and second half, and I'm sure I could find that, but uh, I'm on the spot right now. I'm willing to accept that defense was an issue in the first half, specifically because defense has kind of been the recurring issue for this team. Yes, there have been three-point shooting woes, but that's been made up in other ways, whether it's the pick-and-roll game or you know the mid-range game or Tillman down low, putting up those beastly numbers that we were referencing earlier. So... If it's a if it's an issue with, you know, getting your man, making stops, doing those types of things, and that's what's causing these 15 point uh, balloons uh, by opposing teams. I mean, they do seem to go on wicked scoring runs. Uh, I'm willing to accept that from Izzo. You? No, no, disagree. No, because it, it fine. They can go on a run, but it, MSU can also go on a run concurrently. Sure, the, and it does. The, the, well, but they didn't. In in all of these games, what is consistent is that MSU has not been able to buy a bucket early on. Mm-hmm. And so it is on the offensive side of the ball that, and, and I don't know necessarily what the solution is. It could be Izzo calling a timeout way earlier than he does. You pointed out several, I think now several weeks ago, yeah. that, that apparently Izzo needs an 18-point deficit. <laughs> For him to call a timeout. Actually call that timeout. It could be Aaron Henry coming in off the bench. Go ahead. Or it it could be saying, Rocket, do your thing, and I don't care if there are misses, but at least I know a guy is going to go out there and try and get buckets and just score. I I mean, what's your... You're you're starting to say something. What what did I interrupt? So the halftime score was MSU 27, Wisconsin 43. So I guess the question is, what would you reasonably expect out of the rest of the game? Would you reasonably expect that Wisconsin would have close to 86 points? Or would you more reasonably expect that MSU would have close to 54? The final score was 63-64, which 
tells me that Wisconsin only scored 19 of their points in the second half. Am I doing that right? Sorry. Well, it, it, points you, in the I, half. I think what you're getting at, which is, is true and is a solid point, is that Wisconsin is not known for being a high-powered offense. Exactly. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, I, I would... I would still point to Indiana and Purdue mm-hmm. as examples. And and frankly, if Minnesota had been able to score at all when we visited their place, that that game would have run away from us too because we couldn't buy a bucket there either. I mean, the, we talked last week. This first six minutes were uh, JV at best. Yeah. I mean, so there is something to not being able to score on the road in the first half. And I, 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 I'm not a coach. I I don't pretend to be a coach. And so, and God knows Izzo has infinitely more basketball knowledge than me and coaching ability than me. But why is it that he, 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 I can appreciate that he has frustrations with defense, particularly when you look at the Wisconsin game and that they don't score 43 points in a game sometimes. But like, why is it that we can't score in the first half? That, that to me is starting to feel like a, an equation that he needs to crack. Am I wrong on that? Well, certainly the offensive numbers have been coming back to earth on Ken Palm. Um, we're MSU's now down in the mid teens for Ken Palm adjusted offense. So, Sure. I'm willing to buy that. Why not? So maybe where we land is it's a little bit column A, a little column B. Yeah. All right. Yeah. See, there we go. You have to play full team basketball to win games on the road in the Big Ten. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen, on can't read, can't write. <laughs> you have to play offense and defense. Uh, the, the key to victory is scoring more points than the other team. And hey, that's Izzo. Can you pass that message along to your team? Um, So what's interesting is uh, sort of broader picture right now, according to the NCAA net rankings, which is the metrics, uh, the metric used to gauge where teams stand in relation to one another. So it's a a key factor in in tournament placement. Yeah. The Big Ten has nine teams ranked in the top 32. Uh, And look it's not 12 lunardi style but it is still appreciable right nearly one third of the top 30 teams so i think we have some twitter questions about this later so we'll cover it there uh it's a case where the big 10 is second tier heavy second third tier heavy you you might actually be able to make the argument that there are isn't a clear first tier team right now. Maybe MSU is it, uh, but it's not taking advantage of opportunities that it's been given. So there are a lot of teams sort of right there in that range. None of them are spectacular. It's possible that none of them are going on even a final four run, but they're going to be really good. They're going to be there in the, in the round of 32. They're going to be there in the sweet 16. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny if, if MSU closes out, Wisconsin and Indiana. I mean, they're close enough games, right? That, that we can imagine that scenario mm-hmm. that if they're able to win those games, that the, the big 10 can and by a small margin, we'll say that those are close games. We can imagine a scenario in which the big 10 is both brutal 
and yep. MSU is by far and away the best team. But without them closing them out and them being narrow losses, it is MSU is maybe the best team in the Big mm-hmm. Ten, and the Big Ten is just deep, but maybe mm-hmm. not amazing. And so it, it's a fascinating scenario. It is. Um, talking about fascinating scenarios, let's move on to some football chat. <laughs> uh, so... We we promised last week that we were going to do a deep dive on uh, Tony Paul's stories about the MSU football program, particularly as it relates to 2016. But there are a couple notes to cover before we dive into that. Indeed. Uh, first, Graham Couch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dude. Beat writer uh, for the Lansing State Journal. No, 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 no. Uh, columnist. Oh, pardon me. Columnist for the Lansing State Journal. Yeah, Graham Couch um, hosts a daily radio show slash podcast uh, that largely tracks MSU sports, covers some other things. But you might remember that a few weeks ago we mentioned uh, that Graham Graham Couch broke into his show to say that he got a text from a source that had never been wrong about something before to tell him that D'Antonio is making no staff changes. Then. A week, maybe two later, he says that he predicts, without explanation, that he predicts four changes and that he's hearing things are are shifting. And then, newsbar, this week, he says no staff changes and indeed that Bill Beekman, athletic director for some reason, of MSU has told D'Antonio that he needs to make staff changes. And D'Antonio said, no. So, uh, <laughs> couch is just, I, I sourced incorrectly somewhere, uh, two out of three wins. What, what do you make of this? I've sort of been maintaining, well, one, this is quite the thumbing of the nose at the administration, if this is true, because we do know why Bill Beekman is the athletic director, and it's because he was board secretary before, and the board didn't know what to do, and it panicked, and it put him in that position. So when one considers that Bill Beekman is, yes, in many ways, you know, not truly an athletic director, he's, it, he's an empty shirt, essentially. He does still very much represent the board of trustees. So if it is true that Bill Beekman has asked Mark D'Antonio to start making some changes in the football staff, and indeed Mark D'Antonio has decided not to do that, I think that opens up some interesting scenarios. Does Bill Beekman fold? Does Bill Beekman start throwing his weight around to sort of you know, show his mettle in this situation? I, I've maintained this entire time that I don't even think Mark D'Antonio has a clear roadmap and this will all shake out to about on average two coaching changes. But again, we're going from, you know, rumors that have changed three times now at this point. So, well, what do we so let me, so let's play a little thought experiment here. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's say the season ends. The past season, the season that just was. Indeed, and has ended. You, you are Bill Beekman. Don't do that to me. Nope, nope. We're going to do this thought experiment. You're Bill Beekman. 
you have a, a one-on-one with Mark D'Antonio. What mm-hmm. do you say? I say, Mark, how about that retention bonus, my man? Sounds pretty good, huh? <laughs> Uh, we in the administration would like you to stick around, so please do that. We're not at all worried about your record. Um, but, you know, I am getting curt emails in my inbox uh, about certain things, and it does seem like maybe this current staff has sort of run its course, and there are a couple of things that we could do. What do you think, Mark? What, what are your thoughts about this? Why, why have these seasons shaped up this way? Oh, so you have the strength of actual Bill Beekman. Mm-hmm. All right, so mm-hmm. let's pretend you are Bill Beekman, and you say, instead of asking a question, like a wet noodle, yeah. that, hey, Mark, uh, you need to make some changes. We need to see some shifts on offense. What is, and, and he thumbs his nose at you, and what's your response then? Well, I have the knowledge of Bill Beekman's uh, contract. And without getting too deep into the weeds, he basically has a fallback position. I don't know if I'm Bill Beekman, if that means that basically I just let Mark do what he wants. I check around with interested parties in the board of trustees and in the you know, administration building, the hand administration building, and see sort of what they think if there are no changes. Uh, or, you know, I think this is, you know, I'm the athletic director of Michigan State University. I made a request. These coaches answer to me first and foremost. It's not an unreasonable request. There's clearly issues with this coaching staff. And I start to push back a little bit. So that's you're going to push back a little bit. That's where you're landing. What do you want from me, Michael Jones? Walk me through this. What would you do? You are now Bill Beekman. No, no, no. We're not doing this thought experiment on me. Um, I I think it puts it in, a, a little bit in a precarious position because if I'm Bill Beekman and I'm uh, and I'm in charge of the athletic department, it, it depends on how much I want the job, right? Like, do I really want that job? Is that what I want to be doing? Or is this me doing a favor to the board to do this for a little while while they they hunt down some other high-profile candidates? For instance, I I believe they have a general counsel position open right now. Kind of important. Yep. Provost. Uh, Provost. uh, I think Title IX might have just been closed. Maybe. I don't know. Um. And so if I'm Bill Beekman and I'm doing a favor, then that's one thing, right? Like, I'm just holding this spot, and then you're going to shift me off to some other place again later on. Mm-hmm. But if I'm Bill Beekman and I want this job, uh, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to, like, pull my pants down and show what I got. And that, I, I know that's uncouth. Like, I know that's totally wrong. But if Bill Beekman wants this job, if he wants to run this athletic department, then look, it's not crazy for him to say, hey, the fans aren't happy. Mm -hmm. And by the way, they shouldn't be happy. So, Mark, it wasn't crazy for me to say you need to make a couple changes. Not asking for a lot. Two? Two would be fine. 
Mm-hmm. You can even talk him into retirement, but you're not going to. I'm going to make a stink about it. And maybe, maybe I call Graham Couch up and tell him to say it live on Couch in the Rube. And he'll do it. Yeah. Anyway. Speaking of which, bit of a transition here. Signing day? That's your transition? Yes. Oh, yes. That was a terrible transition. Can I make a, a quick note really That's quick? That's why you're the host. Uh, <laughs> co-host. Uh, for folks who want to know about what we're drinking, I am currently having a Omni Polo or Omni Pollo mm-hmm. Imperial Stout, and it is delicious. That's good. So as this gets slurred, as time goes on, blame it on the 11% that this chocolatey beverage is providing me. <laughs> uh, anyway, yes, folks, um, do know that uh, coming up this week, I believe Wednesday is National Signing Day. What's interesting uh, about this weekend, I'm going to blink on at least one name, is that we have two running back commits uh, that mm. are supposed to be signing. One is a three-star out of, I don't remember, um, and then the other is Jordan Simmons out of Georgia, who is a f- four-star, I believe, recruit. Fantastic. Um, who had a solid offer list from uh, LSU and Georgia. Um, so that's, you know, we should pick up uh, one, maybe two people uh, during the sort of signing day, most committed during the, the early signing day. I think the more fascinating story is that MSU offered a cornerback uh, whose name I'm going to probably butcher. I'm going to just say Rakestraw. Um, sure. Four-star, I believe now recruit, who just listed his final three as Bama, Missouri, and uh, forget the last one. Doesn't matter. But MSU got early and got in early on a DB, and everyone hopped in on him. Mm. So I'm I'm kind of curious. As much as we complain about MSU's lack of recruiting, and not we, I mean MSU Twitter. Uh, complains about MSU's recruiting woes. It does seem like there have been times that they've been able to identify some talent and other people jump in, jump in after the fact. Yeah, pile on. Sort of use MSU's talent evaluation as a crutch, and then jump in behind and and make offers from perceived larger programs. Is what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, it, look, Bama hopped on this guy shortly after. Uh, it, he came to MSU and got an offer. Like, I mean, they didn't have him until MSU had him. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't think it's a secret that MSU has a nose for DBs, yeah, right? I mean, certainly Mark D'Antonio was Nick Saban's secondary coach. Yeah. So anyway, uh, long story short, look forward to some 17-year-old boys <laughs> signing something um, on Wednesday. And we can all hyperventilate about it like it's the end of the world. Mm-hmm. So, great. All right. <laughs> We've had a little bit of fun, Kevin, but it's time to move on to what we promised last week, um, which is a, a bit of a deeper dive on the four articles that came out in the Detroit News, all published by Tony Paul. Mm-hmm. There was a large look at 
I would say, generally speaking, the four of the students from the 2016 recruiting class slash Curtis Blackwell slash Mark mm-hmm. D'Antonio slash mm-hmm. the athletic department. Um, there was an article about Donnie Corley and where he is now. There was a one-on-one with Curtis Blackwell, former, we'll call him recruiting coordinator, though his title was fancier than that for MSU, mm-hmm. who is currently suing MSU, Mark D'Antonio, Luana K. Simon, Mark Hollis, and two officers from the MSU Police Department. And then uh, one that was a bit of a dive on Austin Robertson, a uh, former MSU player who uh, had a troubled past and committed a uh, a, a sexual assault while on campus. Mm -hmm. Summed it up? Very good. Yes. All right. So I think what's important is to start with what these articles, and particularly the main article, which is the one I led with, what it claimed to be versus what it was. And so mm-hmm. when I say what it claimed to be is Tony Paul co-hosts a a podcast every week with Matt Charbonneau, who's the MSU beat writer for the Detroit News. Their podcast is called The Green Room. I think we both listen or you know try to listen to it. Mm-hmm. And Tony said that these stories were... I'm using his word, quote unquote, not groundbreaking. And that they were also really about the 2016 class and how it reflects on the rise and fall of the MSU football program. That is, yes, the claim that he made on the podcast, their 20th episode podcast, which was. <clears throat> anyway, we'll, how we'll far hold. away? We'll, we'll, we'll be celebrating next week? I think next week. I didn't know that. What is the the twentieth anniversary for the podcast? Like, is that the just boast anniversary? I'm I'm not sure. Anyway, we don't have to get bogged down in this. We yeah, I think continue. I think maybe one year and a hundred episodes is mm-hmm. is when you celebrate. But anyway, um, though that's not how those articles were packaged. Indeed, the main story, um, in the web edition is presented like a feature of investigative journalism from the New York Times. These stories occupied a huge amount of print space. And the arc of these stories is not consistent with um, the thesis that he claims these articles had yeah, about the 2016 class and how it had to do with the rise and fall of the program. Indeed, what it really was, was the arc of a story of four students who did a reprehensible thing. And we want to be very clear about that. We're glad that these students are no longer members of MSU and do not represent our university and our values. And furthermore, particularly with the recruitment of Austin Robertson, who who committed a a violent sexual assault and is now serving prison time for that, Mm -hmm. the decision to bring him here was questionable at best. I mean, that is the nicest word that I could use to describe the decision to bring him here. And so... In all of this, we want to be very clear that, A, we do wholly support survivors, that we are not apologists for this university, and we are troubled with some of the things that were reported by Tony. That said, (laughs) we're readers, and we have some problems with his reporting as well. And so Mm -hmm. you don't need to be an apologist to also have problems with his reporting. Those things can coexist. So... Let's start in addition to how we said it was packaged, which I, I th- just click on the main story and tell me that that was not, you know, the claim that it wasn't groundbreaking news. That's not how they presented it. So let's start there. Not at all. 
check the box. We're good there. I, I think we can back that one up fairly easy. Which, um, if if you wanted to write a story about those four players, I think that's worth time. Why would you even bother to say that, no, this is a greater story about the 2016 class as it relates? Like, you spent no time, no print space, not no, but very little relative to the other four on those other players, on the transfers, on the, you know, on the injuries, those types of things. I, I just don't understand why you wouldn't come out and say, yes, this was about those situations, unless, you know, you have to make some kind of claim that this is new information. Indeed, some of it was. There is some previously unreported information in there. But this was largely a regurgitation, as we said in previous weeks, of information that we already had, and then some newly sourced information that we'll get into uh, here as well. Yeah, and and so um, to your point, yes, you could have said that this is a story of four highly touted recruits from you know, of the upper echelon of a highly touted class and how they are, you know, an archetype for the downfall of 2016. Like it didn't, whatever. All right. Anyway, other things that we found problematic from the reporting is the, uh, the presentation itself, which is Mm -hmm. to say that Tony Paul oftentimes writes things without attributing sources. Um, and chose to publish the story after D'Antonio's deposition, but before any of the transcripts from D'Antonio's deposition became available. Mm-hmm. In doing so, he leads – and now that we all are on the same fact page and the same timeline, if you go back and read his article, it's even more clear that he leads the believer, uh, the reader to believe that he has both sides of the story when he does not in fact. Right. So, you know, he says – at the outset of the article, this is sourced from police reports, from uh, interviews, from deposition transcripts, and then says in the next graph that D'Antonio was just deposed, which would lead you to believe that he had information about D'Antonio's deposition. He did not. Indeed. And so, so next up is in particular with regards to Austin Robertson. The whole of Robertson's disturbing past is laid at the feet of D'Antonio. And it's just not necessary because, frankly, the, the information that D'Antonio had about Robertson was concerning on its own. Mm-hmm. You don't need to go back to an incident that occurred when Robertson was 11 that D'Antonio didn't know about. And the reason we know he didn't know about it is because even Curtis Blackwell says that he didn't know about it. Indeed, on Curtis Blackwell's deposition page 180 if anyone wants to check the sites he talks about two incidences that they knew about one is a vandalism you can surmise that one is a vandalism incident and one is a groping incident that if they had reports of it they probably had that it was repeated offenses which even if it was one i'm disturbed by so you don't need to lay the whole history of austin robertson at the feet of D'Antonio for D'Antonio to not look good in this scenario. And, and so I'm bothered by the fact that his reporting, which had the opportunity to segregate what was known versus not known because he could have corroborated sources to say, 
to to make it clear that MSU what they knew and what they didn't know. Would you agree with that, Kevin? I do agree. And Tony Paula was willing to go to press with other elements of the Blackwell deposition. He said, you know, in Blackwell's deposition, he made references to a conversation with uh, with Joel Ferguson that went to print. Uh, he, of course, I, I believe to this point, and I could be mistaken in this, the only source of the anecdote of Ron Burton being uncomfortable with having Austin Robertson on campus comes directly from the deposition and perhaps private yep. conversations that are being had with Tony Paul and uh, and Curtis Blackwell. So again, Blackwell is the only source for that that we're aware of at this time. Why you would choose to print that it's just blanket unclear what MSU knew at the time when indeed in Blackwell's own deposition, which Tony Paul in the Green Room podcast, he claims that he poured over every page of every legal document and spent hundreds of hours doing (laughs) these things. (laughs) Why you chose not to clarify that statement by saying Blackwell said in his deposition that at the time they... In those conversations, they were only aware of two incidences, and then we can surmise what those were from details that we have now. But it it is definitely true that it's impossible to know what Mark D'Antonio knew. But it is more complete to say what Curtis Blackwell said that they knew at the time, while at the same time leaving the possibility open. Or I think it's fair to expect MSU and the coaching staff to have had concerns about Austin Robertson and perhaps do a deeper dive into his background. Now, that's separate, though, from what Tony Paul said in the article, which leads it to the reader, which leaves it to the reader to go through Austin Robertson's full rap sheet, including things that were uh, buried in court documents. You know, he was a minor during most of this, and it was closed and separate and saying, this is what we know now in hindsight. There's no way of knowing what MSU knew at the time. Yeah. And so you also bring up the, a meeting that was reported from Curtis Blackwell's deposition amongst coaches where one coach expressed concern more than one coach, according to to Curtis Blackwell about bringing Austin Robertson onto campus. But there was another meeting that, um, was reported by Tony Paul that involved, I believe he described them as senior executives from MSU. So he says Bill Beekman, uh, I believe the head of admissions, Mark D'Antonio, Mark Hollis, um, Mark athletic Hollis, director at the time. Yep, and and maybe we're missing a, another person or two. But the 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 broader point is is that it was this was a heavy hitter meeting, mm-hmm. and. He claims this meeting happened, or, or reports, I, I claims, I think, is a little too judgmental of a word. And so he, he reports that this meeting happened and reports uh, that this recitation of the meeting um, was sourced by, quote, uh, according to an account provided to the news, end quote. What is that? What? What? Like... I could give you an account of that meeting. That doesn't mean it's true. I wasn't there. Like, (laughs) I I wasn't a journalism student, but I've read enough journalism to know that you, at minimum, say, um, as told to us by a source familiar with the matter. Or multiple sources, if you have those available. Better. and, And even better if you can say, 
how that source might have known about the meeting. So I think on the Green Room podcast episode that we're referencing here, he does say that he he and the editorial staff at the Detroit News pieced elements of that meeting together from separate sources. That's not, not what's willing reported. to go on the but it is what he said in the podcast, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it is also worth reporting that Bill Beekman, now athletic director, uh, claims that he has no memory of the meeting happening or something. I'm paraphrasing there. And that uh, the MSU spokeswoman uh, officially claimed that no meeting did take place. Yeah. So some context would be useful here about your source. And mm-hmm. and again, when you say an account provided to the news, it indicates that you have a single source. So uh, again, that's not to say that I necessarily doubt the veracity, but given that there are multiple parties being sued right now, there are competing interests at stake here. And so if you're doing your readers a service, you... I don't know. You, it's fine. I don't need you to give the name and location of the person that that told you this. But some clarity and context is useful for a critical reader, especially when one considers that this is one of two or three pieces of new information that weren't available before. Yeah, it's sort of like the yep. cornerstone of why you're going to bring this back to print again. Yes. So. I And maybe this is a little petty, but I would also say that there are times that Tony's writing is a little too proud of itself. And so, and what I mean by that is there are moments where he makes jabs. For instance, in discussing that very meeting about whether to admit Austin Robertson, Tony states that Bill Beekman, current athletic director, was there. And then for some reason, adds that in addition to his MSU experience, he had a major from the James Madison College in justice, morality, and democracy. And don't tell me that he didn't type that out with a little chuckle. He was proud of the irony of justice and morality. He, mm-hmm. he, he, I, I just, it's not really at all a relevant fact what Bill Beekman's major was or where he got it. Mm-hmm. Because you could have just said Bill Beekman's experience was X, Y, and Z, including graduating from MSU. Like, he, it's just dripping with too much irony. And so we tried to, we tried to keep this as tight as possible, and so we picked out some moments. But, Kevin, I mean, there are, there are broader things to talk about in these articles. What would you say? I agree, yeah. So I also think that there's a larger context to the news articles. You have to remember, as we said at the the top of this segment, there were four of them published together. And in, there included two that were a little bit troubling to me because they sort of, to me, they indicated the narrative that the Detroit News was trying to get across. And I didn't find it to be a convincing narrative personally, and I found it to be a narrative that I had significant issues with. So Distasteful. I found it to be distasteful. Yeah. So there is We're wrong. <laughs> one article that seems to be written to rehabilitate Curtis Blackwell's image. Now, in spite of the fact that Tony Paul acknowledges that he did not follow Title IX equity office procedure at MSU and was in contact with the three players that participated in the sexual assault, that's Corley King and Vance, uh, when he should not have been 
and without going through the proper channels. He does that sort of in a, a throwaway line in a separate article. He acknowledges in the main article these shortcomings, but he quickly moves on from them. He puts all the rest of the onus of the situation on Mark D'Antonio and the football department where perhaps, perhaps it does belong to a certain degree. But he lets Curtis Blackwell entirely off the hook. And this is a guy that followed no procedures. If you go back and you read the Jones Day report, which is available publicly, it's clear that uh, that to a degree, Blackwell chose to not participate both in uh, both in the investigation of these incidences and then also in the the follow up. Everyone wants to know the culpability, like who did what, what went wrong, all of those things. He chose not to participate in any of that in spite of still being a paid member of the MSU staff, although he was uh, on leave at that time. So it's troubling to me that they're willing to publish an entire separate article that appeared to me to be in the interest of rehabilitating his image. And then he, they also write an article that I consider to be a complete fluff piece about Donnie Corley, one of the three football players that participated in the assault on campus and was dismissed from both the team and uh and uh, do you remember what what they were eventually found guilty of like some kind of pornography of someone yeah. who was not their wife or something debasing like that. And, and, of a young lady in the whatever and, and, in the 1800s context it, yeah it it was an antiquated law that deserves updating for sure. I mean, the 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 wrong act was there, but the law that they used to prosecute them was <laughs> silly in, in terms of how it values women in society. Significantly pled down from the initial charge because so much evidence was able to be destroyed during that time that Curtis Blackwell knew that those three players were involved, but police and other authorities did not. So Donnie Corley gets his own separate article that goes into his experience about leaving MSU and how Mark D'Antonio didn't tell him face to face and he found that disrespectful and now he has to play at Texas Southern. And you're at the same time in a separate article going to call into question that Austin Robertson should be allowed to play college football. But at the same time, you know that Donnie Corley at the very least was participated in this kind of assault, went to court for something like this. Austin Robertson and his transgressions happened while he was a child. And yes, they are troubling and perhaps he shouldn't have been on campus. But at the same time, you are help, you are rehabilitating again the image of a football player who it was involved in some kind of sexual assault while he was an adult on campus. And now he goes and he plays football for another university. And I don't understand the cons- how you can be so inconsistent between those two, whether Austin Robertson should have been allowed on campus or neither of them should have been allowed on campus. It seems much more consistent to me to say that Donnie Corley, you know, paid his debt to society, whatever you want to do, but he lost the opportunity to play college football. It doesn't make any sense to me to say now he's down at Texas Southern. Boo hoo. He's got to play in front of a small school. I don't understand it. How is he accept? How is it acceptable that he's playing football at Texas Southern? How can people at Texas Southern also not be victims of sexual assault? Do they not matter? Do these rules only apply to Big Ten teams? 
How is it not logically inconsistent of Tony Paul and the Detroit News by extension, their editorial staff in particular, to criticize MSU and Mark D'Antonio on one hand for their handling of the Austin Robertson case, while at the same time writing a fluff piece for Donnie Corley? I just, I don't get it. No, and you, Greg brings up an excellent point. So I guess, you know, we, we feel... I think a little bit in an awkward position here because we're not big on like we believe survivors we or victims. We, we believe that processes are important and that that Curtis Blackwell violated those processes. And, and so we want to be very clear that we don't want any of these people on our team and we will not apologize for them. And indeed, at least as it relates to the four of them, their conduct on campus, we're glad that they're no longer here and we're dismissed quickly. We have deep and concerning questions about Austin Robertson ever being here, but related to the fact that conduct happened here, Kevin brings up a good point about people moving on. And so we want to point people to uh, a, a young lady named Brenda Tracy who runs a not-for-profit that is attempting to implement something that's called the Tracy Rule. This would prevent student-athletes from uh, student-athletes who commit acts of violence, sexual or otherwise, from transferring, from being kicked off of one school, uh, or one team, rather, and, and transferring to another school. Um, she attempted to move this to the NCAA, and they shut it down, claiming that they needed to study it further or something. I don't, I don't, I don't know about you, Kevin. I don't know what they need to study, but if you believe that people who commit acts of violence don't have a place representing your school, she might be a resource that you want to look into and see if there's some way that you want to help out her cause. We, you know, you may have differing opinions on this and we respect that there is some level of gray in here that you, you may not agree with our opinions on all of this. But there are valid questions to ask. And so if you think that those need further examination and that the NCAA has more work to do on, hey, you sexually assaulted someone, you can't go to another NCAA school, she's a, a resource to look into. And so um, we would end on that slight up note if we didn't have to take it slightly down in that the last thing to Tony is that Tony on the Green Room podcast took some time to take a dump on MSU fans. He said that all the people who complained about his reporting were MSU fans. No shit, Sherlock. <laughs> Most people who listen to the green room are MSU fans. It's math. <laughs> like people who listen to an MSU podcast are MSU fans or people who hate listen to other MSU podcasts. I don't know if we have any of you, maybe CT, I don't know, but I think he secretly is an MSU fan. But like, <laughs> come on, man. So you don't need to be an apologist for MSU sports. You don't, you don't need to be okay with the things that have been done to also be a critical reader and say, Tony, you could have done better. And it seems like if we're reading through the lines that you did some work for Curtis Blackwell here. Mm -hmm. Would you concur? I agree. He was clearly a valuable source for these stories. And, you know, he reciprocated. He wrote. Yeah, uh, he wrote a piece, again, rehabilitating his image, going a long way towards that. 
And and to be clear, I, I think it's worth noting, and I I don't want to get remotely political in this podcast, but I value the media. It's important. It's really important. And I value reporting. But this was not perfect. And and indeed, <laughs> opinion machine Graham Couch, who can't get his sources straight, doesn't publish any of that nonsense that he says on his podcast because it's not up to LSJ standards. And so when Graham Couch says we wouldn't have published that, it's worth taking note of. Yeah. On that note, in the episode of the Green Room podcast, Tony uh, addresses uh, Graham Couch uh, ex- you know, explicitly and says that Graham was, uh, I think, you know, he had complimentary things to say about the report. Um, I went back <laughs> and I listened true. to that podcast. <laughs> and uh, that is not the case. Uh, I'm sorry. Tony, but uh, Graham was not complimentary of your piece. Um, <laughs> he was coded at best. Yes. Uh, I, I would suggest that you go back and re-listen to that. But anyway. So with that, it's we've got our first not a sponsor. And this episode of Can't Read, Can't Write is brought to you, or rather not brought to you, by Water. Water wants to let you know that water weighs in one liter 2.2 pounds. So don't carry too much water. Or if you do, you'll just get bogged down. Can't read, can't write. <laughs> Kevin, let's head off Grand River. What a transition. Uh, yep. Um, we, we're we running long, and uh, we thank you, listeners. Move us over to one and a half speed if you haven't already. Um, let's talk. I, I, you've got here Super Bowl. <laughs> what do you want to say about the Super Bowl? All right, quick, football. Chiefs went for it on fourth down, close to the goal line. That's the Niners' goal line. Two times, both early in the game. Did this give Mark D'Antonio his second heart attack? (laughs) (laughs) Is that why we haven't heard from him? I mean, they converted on both of them. This is like the new football, man. It's aggressive. It's going after it. Mark D'Antonio would never do something like that, especially that early in the game. I maintain that if I've, I've often wondered this, if you're averaging three yards per carry. Yeah. You do that four times. The math is pretty obvious. Now, well, how can understand- anyone ever lose a game? You know, as soon as you average three yards per carry, you just run it until you win, right? I, I mean, I'm I'm saying I acknowledge you got to mix it up. You got to do some things different. That's how you get your three yards per carry, which is sort of not sort of. It's very sad three yards per carry, but broader point still remains. I don't understand. Anyway, um, what's more important about the Super Bowl, which if new listeners in the show i don't give a shit about the nfl what i do care about though (laughs) it is xfl season baby and that means that my man connor cook is maybe starting a game because uh kevin i don't know if you've been following the xfl news oh i've been all over it it is unclear whether he'll be a starter (laughs) well i can't wait well such drama what an exciting time to be but for for those who are interested on, I believe, Fox, 5 o'clock on Saturday will be the Houston Roughnecks game. And that means you've got plenty of time to watch Michigan State beat Michigan at noon and then turn around, have a little nap, maybe have a snack, you know, whatever. Rally. And then, and then watch Connor Cook uh, uh, just go after it. And look, I, I, I think I tweeted this the other day. I think we should set up a GoFundMe, Kevin, for yeah. Connor Cook. And you know why? Why? 
I want to pay him to go around and follow Archie and just snatch things out of his hands. <laughs> just grab the just like, grab that uh that player Arch- trophy. Archie goes to a bar. Archie goes to a bar, gets served a beer, and he just snatches it out of his hand. Like, (laughs) I I can just see it, and it would make me so happy. It's like Rafi from the league, you know, uh, taking the beer out of Kevin's hands just to drink it. You league fan? All right. Never seen the program. Uh, A couple couple things uh, in college basketball, in case this isn't on your radar, and I bet it is because you're listening to this podcast. Luca Garza is going bonkers right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah that dude yeah, yeah, yeah. down in Iowa, currently averaging 23 points, 10 and a half rebounds, almost two blocks a game, shooting nearly 40% from three. Luca Garza is having a hot girl summer, and he's going to wind up being an All American this year. It's out of control. Yeah. 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 And uh, I see a note here about Illinois being out in front in the Big Ten standings. That is not yeah, true, Kevin. Out of date, apparently. <laughs> you by like six hours to twelve to twenty four, maybe. But um, still, uh, what do we want to know about Illinois? I mean, <laughs> pardon me, they're feisty on defense, uh, and they're winning games that they need to in a way that MSU isn't. They got U of M at Chrysler. They got Purdue at Mackey, which MSU certainly didn't. Uh, so these next upcoming games are going to be interesting. Uh, the Maryland and the MSU games. Um, those are the top two Ken Palm teams in the league and MSU only plays Illinois once on the road. So keep an eye out. That, that is going to be the game to circle. And I, you know, despite our first half woes, (laughs) I assume and hope that MSU has that game circled on their calendar as a must win. So. Kevin, uh, no longer carrying water. Talk to us about our next, not a sponsor. Yeah, this is really exciting. Again, we're breaking new ground with the name, image, and likeness thing. Uh, This episode of Can't Read, Can't Write is brought to you by Kyle Brotherons, who's seeking early investors for a chain of physical therapy clinics in the greater Lansing area. Like Kyle, you may have been holding a hot pad on your back for the last hour. (laughs) You may need to stretch for an hour and a half before checking into your local pickup basketball game. But he's got the cure for you. Whenever you're on the court, whether it be for 10 minutes or 10 seconds, <laughs> invent a reason, any reason to die for the ball. Hit the deck. You'll definitely see results. Just not necessarily the ones you were hoping for. <laughs> Kyle Arns, venture capitalism for adventure basketball. Can't read, can't write. Worrying the entire fan base. Yes. All right, Kyle, we thank you for being not a sponsor. We appreciate you hopping in on our little venture capitalism experiment here. Kevin. Dude puts it on the line, though. Like every, every game puts it on the line. It's in a way that I'm deeply uncomfortable with. Yeah. Uh, my, my heart skips a beat every time he ends up on the floor. And my heart skips a beat every time we turn to Twitter questions because God knows I may not be prepared for them. Yeah. So, so are we going to do these rapid fire? Not yeah. that we don't appreciate everyone that's taken the time to write them, but we want to give keen insights and we also want to respect your time. Brevity, soul of wit. Uh, first up from Jer Bear. How annoying is it being an MSU football or basketball fan? How taxing, taxing is it? Maximum taxing because... <laughs> 
You get to see the best of times. You get to see the worst of times. I mean, these are programs that have had great heights and really low troughs. Less so for basketball, but certainly for football. Uh, so I would call it maximum taxing, especially when one considers that you never actually get to the promised land with either of them. Yeah, I would just add that, for instance, the Wisconsin game. Um, being a fan, creating the show, trying to get followers, hopping on the old Twitter machine. Oh, boy. I mean, that first half was not great. And my God, did like 200 some people remind me of it. Didn't need that. Didn't care for it. And by the way, there's a second half of basketball to be played. And it didn't turn out the way we wanted to. But can we not have a collective meltdown? It's a full game. Like, maybe we should all just embargo tweeting because I'm taxed enough. I stand. I stand. I pace. I worry. I don't need all of you hooligans. I hop on to make a funny tweet and I have to just exit. Like, I'm like, nope, 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 nope. Chill out, people. Anyway, moving on. CTNTC, our favorite troll. <sighs> Jesus. What's the best way to get your basketball team to stop playing like slugs? I propose two solutions. One. Hold on. We got to acknowledge the John, John Beeline shout out. Oh, that's good. Oh, yep. CT and TC. That's good. That's yep. good. I totally he, forgot about that. He's repurposing the word slugs in a way that I am not proud of. But anyway, uh, okay. I, I present two solutions. One, Izzo has the team watch Chiefs uh, first half footage, second half footage. Uh, to see how you actually come back from a deficit like that and win the game. Or two, you do a simulated halftime. So right around the 10-minute mark, wherever that media timeout is, <laughs> you call two additional timeouts. So it's like a six-minute gap. And you use that as your first halftime. And then the team rebounds and you, you, know, you continue from there. Um. I I love that. I'm going to just recommend a workout supplement called C4. Um, I don't know if it's NCAA cleared, but it's fantastic. It gives you the tingles and, you know, make your shots. That's the other way is just make some shots. Uh, I think the best way to not play like slugs is to make shots. <laughs> Did you um, make extra clear to enunciate the S on that word? Shots. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, next up from John Hubbard is... John, I think you asked a question about cats, so I don't know that this is your worst question, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. Last show before the Oscars, do you have any picks? See, uh, hold on. John, my over-under on me not watching? Me not watching. <laughs> Kevin, so, what's your pick? So I think John's setting me up here to actually reference cats, and I'm going to take the bait on it. Cats up and down the board. Uh, nothing but cats straight up and down costume and design, uh, best adapted screenplay, everything. Give it original, everything <laughs> cats up and down. All right. You're muted for the rest of the answers. Uh, are we obligated to, uh, always call the college football playoff? Or, oh, I'm sorry. Let me reread. Are we obligated to always call it the college football playoff or can we shorten this or modify it? What about the college playoff? or the football semifinal, or how about just the plain playoff? It, Kevin, is this another conversation you had? Because I'm curious how much time in his life he feels like he's wasting on fully, college football playoff. Fully saying college football playoff. I'm going to call it the kafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafaf
Kafuf. Yeah. It's so uh, quick. That's what we C- call it now. Kafuf. CFP. CFP. Sure. Great. All right. Great. Uh, yeah. Whatever. You know what, John? Just do what fits your lifestyle. You know. If you got a short. You do you, John. Yeah. That's what we're all about here. You do you. You live your best life, and everyone stay out of you living your best life. Yeah. Next up, someone who wants us to, to change our best life, Raymond Chains, um, says, "My gut instinct tells me that the state team might make it to the Sweet 16, and not likely further." Am I off? No, I think that's fair. I, I think this is a year in particular where matchups matter more than anything else, and MSU could very easily get stymied in the Sweet 16, or it could go to the Elite Eight, the Final Four. It all depends on how that bracket comes out. What do you think? Yeah, I I, I see uh, 32. I see Final Four. I don't know. Depends on if... Uh, Xavier Tillman goes and finds a bunny at the petting zoo. Indeed. Or if Aaron Henry decides to show up to the brick sale. I I don't I don't know. Um because what I don't want is counting on Rocket Watts. As much as I love him and I'm so excited. It's so fun he, to watch. Oh, so fun to watch. But like Except I, for he I, does not know how to pass the ball and he's the <laughs> Yeah, his his assist numbers were terrible, but he is not FDIC insured. Like you are not getting your money back on putting that money in the bank. So, uh, boy, uh, yeah, I need I need some X making some bunnies, and I need Aaron Henry playing four games with some consistency just to make me happy. So next up from Raymond is: Do you think Meyer or it's Meyer Raymond, not Myers? Um, or the area malls will eventually offer on-site lodging. I mean, this is a hard-hitting question, and my response is, don't they already? Don't, like, you know, over-the-road truck drivers park in those parking lots, you know, in, in sleeper berth, and, and can't you park an RV there? You know, like, I, th- I, think there are, I think you can live that life, Raymond, right now. You just need the tools. So, sure, if, if that's what you're looking for, Raymond, yeah, absolutely. Just get an RV, get a truck, whatever. You can sleep wherever you want. And people give you a pass, though it's a little weird. Um, I would say uh, twofold. One, that uh, it seems like where Cabela's pops up, so too do hotels. Would you agree? Yeah, like, that's done- so weird. Like, but, who has but Cabela's so- as like a destination? But I think that's a a reflection of that retail is not prepared to get into the hospitality business, and that makes sense. Mm. And I would doubly confirm that um, without going into too much detail. My wife is opening a luxury store at a ginormous mall. It is disgusting how big this mall is. And there's plenty of plans to provide hospitality but not the overnight persuasion so um yeah i i just think retail and um and and hospitality are not compatible in that way and don't pretend like that was a brag it's not uh next up aside from now that i was pretending (laughs) well what was that it sounded like your wife was going to supply some hospitality but not of the overnight persuasion (laughs) Quick stays or nothing else. Anyway, uh, aside from you, I'm in state. She will listen to this at some point in time, and I will be dead. Cannot uh, wait until uh, you're not allowed to talk to that Kevin Grutt guy anymore. 
Oh, man. I'm going to have to say some shit about Zill. All right. Uh, next up, aside from U of M and State, who else has an interesting D1 program in Michigan? I always go with Oakland basketball. I mean, that's my favorite other D1 program to watch. What about you? Uh, did Mechawinny get hired away from Central? Uh, don't know. All right. Well, then I'm going to go with that. Uh, that's, but I, I haven't heard. So we're going to go with no. Um, I would tend to agree with Greg on this one, though, that if you're looking for an interesting um, place to to view something, Oklahoma, or not Oklahoma, uh, Oakland basketball or Western Michigan football tends to put up some interesting years. And I think that will continue continue post PJ Fleck. I'm on board. I, I mean, we're several years post PJ Fleck now, but I'm on board. I like Western as well. Uh, next from Raymond is... If they were action figures, or, or sorry, if there were action figures of MSU coaches, what accessories or weapons would they come with? I'm going to uh, defer to you because I think you got to get one for this. All right. So obviously for D'Antonio, he has two. He has a ruler so he can find the inches <laughs> and a compass. And I'm not talking like north, south, east, west, but like, you know, math class about, compass. Yeah. So he can complete his circles. <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously for Izzo, it's just one thing. It's a hammer, so he can smash the tape. I, I That's the obvious answer, right? So D'Antonio is geometry man, and Izzo is just like a normal action figure. That he's, he's blue collar. He's definitely wearing a blue collar. He's got a lunch pail, and he has a hammer. And, and maybe like in his lunchbox is a tape. <laughs> uh Next up is from Raymond Chains. Uh, can you pretend to care about college baseball, field hockey, or gymnastics? Raymond, I can. Next question from Spartan. Do- Greg, do you got something to say about that? Uh, no, I, I agree with uh, with Raymond here. I think we're going to inject some non, uh, prim- you would call like premier first tier revenue sports. We'll go with revenue sports uh, into the podcast here coming up. We got plans for that. Yes, we do. And, and certainly, uh, if nothing else summer is going to be a challenge and so it'll be a good time to do some reviews and some look ahead so summer's going to be great can't wait spartan dog 97 yes uh as a texans fan i want to know how much of a class act do you think patrick mahomes is uh, kevin i'm just going to interject here because you apparently you haven't watched the league mm-hmm. uh there's a whole bit about using the term class act <laughs> not great not great we're going to avoid that. We appreciate the question, but we're going to avoid it. How awesome do you think Patrick Mahomes is, Kevin? And dude just won the Super Bowl. 24, won the Super Bowl, blah, 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 blah. But what does, that have to, what does that have to do with being a Texans fan? Did I miss something? I, I kind of would have thought that people from Texas would have liked Mahomes, uh, you know, because he went to Tech. Um, but I don't know the finer intricacies. You know, we've got some Texas listeners. Dial us up. Explain this one to us. Spartan Dog, reach out. Let's walk through this. Let's incorporate this in next week's episode. Yeah. But in the meantime, watch season two of The League because it will cover my issues with saying class act. Anyway, last up is Alex Plum, who is coming in in lieu of the upper deck jerk guy. Bow, bow, bow. Alex Plum, maybe wearing the crown? the last two weeks maybe good questions yeah good questions yeah i mean i mean we don't mean to say we like one questioner over another but uh plum two weeks in a row 
How much does parity in the Big Ten actually help versus hurt our teams when it comes to the big dance? I think this is a great question, Kevin. I agree. Uh, so I think it definitely hurts in terms of seeding. So we've seen over previous years that one team can run away in a bad conference and get a pretty good seed kind of in spite of itself. Uh, like a Clemson? And, uh, something like that. Uh a grind like this very rarely benefits the top team unless they're like truly a tier above the rest of the of the fracas. It very rarely benefits the top team. So I think the Big Ten might at this point even have difficulty getting a two seed. Um, there are a couple teams that could pull that off, but they've got to go on some winning streaks now. If you're measuring, though, by how many teams are getting into the second or third week of the tournament, I think that greatly benefits the Big Ten. Uh, having teams that sort of compete in that range, a few of them are going to end up making it fairly far in the tournament. What do you think? I Yeah, I, I totally agree. The one thing I would add is that for it to benefit MSU, they need to win out. I, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they need to be 16 and four. And so. Which seems unlikely. Of, yeah, it, it does. And it, it, who knows? I mean, you know, maybe this week fixes it. You you get a run win at Michigan, which, sorry, CT, doesn't seem crazy. Um, and you get the win at home earlier this week. It, you know, that's that maybe is enough time for them to figure some stuff out. I think they're keenly aware, whether it's defense or offense, as we debated earlier, that that they have some work to do and they seem pretty honed in on it's a hype thing that that they're getting behind and they're not, you know, doing that counterpunch, whether it is, you know, crowd silencing or not, they need to counterpunch and that's not happening right now. So if they can get that bottled up, then, you know, uh, I, I think that the parody will ultimately help them though. I don't see a two seed happening at this point in time to Kevin's point. I think Andy Katz has him at a four seed right now. I don't see him climbing a high, above a three seed, even with a win out. Would you agree, Kevin? I think with a win out, MSU goes into two seed territory. All right. All right. All right. Because um, you got to remember, a lot of other teams are going to lose in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that would be wins over Illinois. Um, Penn Michigan, State ranked who- Penn State. Ranked Penn State and Michigan, who at one point in time was inexplicably number four. Um, things happen. Yeah, <laughs> things happen and then they don't. Uh, next up from Plum, Izzo on the loss to Wisconsin, reflecting on Wisconsin's hurdles without Davidson or King. Quote, I can take little joy in my, uh, sorry, I can take a little joy in my profession that kids were still rallied around their coach. Is, it, is Tom Izzo not the best guy around? Well, Tom Izzo has always been very supportive of the other coaches in the Big Ten. Um, Always uh, explicitly in the media. He's sort of a guy that all the other coaches like. He's sort of the dean of coaches in the truest sense. Um, I I have my criticism still of Tom Izzo uh, and things that, you know, he's willing to do and say. But... uh, I mean, he is a profoundly nice guy at the end of the day, and he means very, very well. What do you think? Couldn't agree more. Um, you know, 
Um, Wisconsin seemed to rally behind their coach, rally behind their school, rally behind their team, whatever. Uh, I think those were all the words of Izzo. And he is a graceful loser who will place no blame on anyone other than his own team. So I did want to point out that there was a coaching error in that MSU Wisconsin game. Greg Gard called a timeout after MSU slapped the the floor on defense, which is inexcusable. Other coaches in the Big Ten should know that MSU always gives up a bucket after doing that. (laughs) So the fact that he called a timeout means that he's not watching film. He's not doing his job. But anyway. Amateur hour. Amateur hour. And we're moving on, Kevin, to uh, not a sponsor. Uh, I think this one reached out to you. Tell us who uh, this episode is not brought to you by. This one's really exciting. Uh, This episode of Can't Read, Can't Write is not brought to you by the Coach K Jump to Conclusions, Matt. Did you kind of hear something? So you decided it must have been the meanest thing that you (laughs) apparently know about this coach from Pitt? Are you so sure that you're prepared to yell at your student section about it? (laughs) Well, that's great. Then the Coach K Jump to Conclusions, Matt, is for you. Now available at all Cameron Indoor retail locations. Love it. And you know what? I have to give Duke credit. It's not named after some guy named Adolf. I have to give him credit. Credit for the nicest thing you can say about Duke. Let me think. Yep. All right. Next up, we've got our previews. Kevin, we have two games in front of us for basketball. I know that's going to disappoint Raymond Chains. We will try harder, Raymond. But, you know, we try and keep this short. I mean, we're running a little long right now. So, Kevin, um, let's talk some Penn State basketball. So, Penn State comes to town this week. Uh, Currently a ranked Penn State basketball. Again, get that through your noggin. Uh, And And Pat Chambers keeping his job. Yep. Yeah. A guy that we thought was dead man walking last season (laughs) when he was serving his suspension. And the season, yeah. Now, ranked team coming into East Lansing. So, uh, so Penn State's currently on a four-game winning streak. They're up to Ken longest Hall, in 14. the Big Ten. Wow, that I didn't know that, but that's not a surprise to me, especially when you consider that they've got wins against Ohio State and Indiana at home, and then U of M Nebraska on the road. Um, if you go look at Penn State's. Uh, statistics they've got a very clear nine-man rotation with lamar stevens just like having a pretty solid year down low and in fact their whole front court is pretty formidable with uh with mike watkins just like mopping up rebounds basically so those two dudes are a bit of a load uh it'll be interesting to see what msu does with them uh i would expect you know xavier to bounce back and and continue to play like 36 minutes or whatever he's been averaging recently. Uh, but it'll be fun to see what the rotation is around that uh, and what, you know, Malik Paul or other folks uh, do against this front court because it is going to be a bit of a test. And then from outside, you got you got Mayron Jones shooting about 40% from three. So he can fill it up a little bit and he can get hot. Um, now, this is a game that I would expect MSU to win. But it is a ranked Big Ten opponent, uh, even if it is in Breslin Center. I, I would just add that two of the people you called out there, uh, Lamar Stevens and Mike Watkins, are 6'8 and 6'9, respectively, mm-hmm. which 
puts them in the wheelhouse of our bigs. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not, this isn't a team that we're going to be outmatched on size on the interior by, um, which combine that with the home court advantage and presents some reasons for optimism. Indeed. Indeed. So, uh, <laughs> let's talk some hate week. So we got this far. Hate week. Hate week just comes up now. We spent more time on Tony Paul than we're going to spend on hate week. Part deux. Part deux. <laughs> yes. Uh, but it's still the best for last. Yep. Yep. Uh, they're coming off of a big neutral site win that technically was a home win. I'm confused. Can you imagine like, hey, guys, here's an idea for you. Let's give up a game at uh, at our home venue at Chrysler Arena so that we can go play sort of in Rutgers backyard at Madison Square Gardens. Wait, so- wait, wait, wait. Could you imagine being more thirsty for being the Champions Classic? Could you imagine wishing you had the caliber of MSU more than doing that? Yeah, like what? What is that flex? I don't get it. Like, are you so sure that you've got tons of alumni in New York that'll do anything to go see this team play? Like, I haven't watched the game, so I probably shouldn't talk a load of crap about it. Maybe they're just, maybe it was brimming with U of M basketball fans. Um, they did win. They did win. Give them credit for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It just seems very, very strange and not a great decision. I question the judgment of it. Yeah. Um, So what can we expect from U of M coming into to to their place on Saturday? Yeah, Uh, Saturday, because we've got the Roughnecks game to look forward to. Of course. Of course. You get your whole Saturday planned out. So Isaiah Livers appears to have, I don't know if it's, injured himself differently or re-aggravated his existing injury. Uh, Right now, he's day-to-day. They are playing Ohio State this week before they play MSU. Um, In the game against Rutgers, John Simpsons, Wagner, and Brooks all played 38 minutes, so that rotation is not really even a rotation right now. As much as you can call it a rotation, Austin Davis and Teske split some minutes with Teske basically just like being on the court as much as possible. And then Austin Davis going in. So, well, he was a, not a sponsor before. Yes. Yeah. So he's looking ahead right now. He's not even paying attention to college, uh, college basketball because of all the opportunities that, you know, we've of his training. Him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not really even a rotation at all. Um, they did shoot 50% from three in that Rutgers game, so they can still sort of heat up, so to speak. But I, without livers in the game, and again, we, we aren't going to know until later in the week if he's going to play or not, I, I think you could roll out a very similar game plan to the last one that MSU used. and you should have a pretty good chance of winning that game at Chrysler. Yeah. And I think it's worth remembering that if nothing else, Xavier Simpson is the lesser point guard to Cassius Winston. And not only because of his play, but because of his off the court antics, 
DM me for whatever details. Whatever those may be. And yes. Anyway, so that's all we got here. Uh, Kevin, it's been a fun week. Mm-hmm. We ran it a little long, but, you know, we had Tony Paul to get into. So there was that. Indeed. Uh, Needed to be done. We yep. promised it last week. We did it this week. We delivered. And uh, and with the temperament of having sat on it for a couple weeks, which I, again, would urge everyone who watches MSU's basketball, just wait until the game is done. Like, I don't need your hot takes at the half. I don't need your hot takes at 10 minutes in. Anyway, Kevin, go green. Go ahead, Michael. Good night, everyone. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whenever you're listening to this. Bye. <laughs>